I haven't seen bigger magic on this planet and in my own life than when I've had the courage to be who I am and look at myself in the mirror and and seriously do the work, you know, improve my character while also uh, being honest to what I see around me and and um, kind of invoke that from other people too, to the extent that it's my right to do so, you know, because we're all ultimately the experts of our own experience. So got to be uh, thoughtful with that. Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Hey folks, it's RJ Singh here from Ultra Habits. Thank you for coming on another journey with us this week as we are talking to Elizabeth Lottie. Now, for those of you that remember, Elizabeth was actually a guest on season one. She was one of our original guests on the podcast, and we dove into the Finnish concept of Sisu on that episode. For those of you that don't remember or don't know, we'll try to explain what Sisu is in the English language, although it's quite difficult. Loosely, Sisu is extraordinary determination in the face of extreme adversity and courage that is presented typically in situations where success is unlikely. It's like this inner fortitude that gets presented to us in the moment that helps us pursue beyond whatever adversity or difficult challenge is in front of us. And season one, that episode was all about diving into Elizabeth's study and personal journey with Sisu. Now, Elizabeth has evolved her work, and that's what we're here to discuss on this week's episode. And it's expressed in her new book, Gentle Power. So for many of us, we see those two words is really an oxymoron. And to be honest with you, many of us in Western civilization have issues with those two words on their own, gentle and power. And Elizabeth expresses in her book, and particularly in this interview, why it's so important to not only conduct ourselves and society with power, but why it needs to be infused with gentleness. Because power on its own can be misplaced, mistreated, and we all know what the ugly side of power without ethics, power without love, power without gentleness can do. And in our conversation, we talk about why it's so necessary that we need to live our lives with gentle power. And we also talk about how Sisu overlays with that. Sisu does also have a very dark side. With any level of resistance or force, there can be a dark side to that. We talk about why infusing it with gentleness and care and love is so much more impactful. Elizabeth is captivating. She's got a captivating voice. She's a captivating woman and has a lot of depth. And I always enjoy my conversations with Elizabeth. So our text messages are always like essays. Our voice texts are always like essays. And I always enjoy having conversations with her. So it's really a treat to bring this to you in the Ultra Habits community. So I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Elizabeth. But before I go, if you haven't already, some of you may know that I am attempting a Guinness Book World Record feat trying to raise a million dollars for mental health research, go to the website, 
register for the newsletter, www.ultrahabits.co, and you will get exclusive content into my habits. How am I actually managing life with physical training required, the children, the businesses, all the stuff going on? I document it, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I think you will get a lot out of that. Anyways, folks, grateful to have you here or your eyes for the show. As always, do leave a review if this resonates with you. Peace. Elizabeth, welcome to Ultra Habits. We are doing round two. Uh, you know, you and I have lots of conversations and whether it's on text or phone call, even our text messages become like essays. We just get like it's super, super deep uh, very quickly. And I really love the range of where and how we go now. Today, I want to dive into your recent book, um, Gentle Power. I'm actually in the process of reading it and already in the depths of it. And it's such an interesting name. Like many people would think gentle and power is like an oxymoron. But one thing I know about you, Elizabeth, is you have this ability to hold varying things and you, you're able to hold them well. And what might seem conflicting to others when, you know, I, I unpack it with you and, and, you know, when it could be different, different contexts or, or, or something else, um, you're always able to bring things and integrate them together. And I'm no doubt that we'll be able to kind of unpack how um, this process came together with gentle, gentle power. But before we kick off, you know, I've been contemplating the word power. Why do you think that there's such a, a negative connotation with that word these days? I'm glad you dive right into the deep end <laughs> to start, which is very you. Uh, and I really appreciate that. Um, you know, the, the book itself, um, one of its most important um, invitations or gifts, I hope, is to facilitate this self-inquiry and to um, examine where we might hold um, resistance or fear um, in ourselves. And I and power is definitely one of those topics. And partially also because it it, it is like that it holds um, it is like the gatekeeper also of our own self-expression, of our ability to hold boundaries, of our ability to rise to our greatest potential. And so on the other hand, um, the trouble is that power as a concept and a way of expressing oneself has become contaminated. You know, we all have those examples from our own lives. Maybe we witnessed it from someone else uh, or we have abused power. In, in minor or major ways. Um, and when we get that sting, when it burns us, it's only natural to stay away. When you put your hands on the hot stove once, you learn pretty quickly to stay away. Uh, but the trouble with that is that because power is a core foundational element, just like love is, of human um, interaction and engagement, um, if we decide to step away from that topic, uh, we also partially step away from ourselves and life. Um, and um, there's um, 
very uh, a key part in the book where I quote Abraham Maslow. I, I managed to find this book that had just been published where someone had went to some basement somewhere and found old recordings of Abraham's uh, course lectures and they transcribed everything and into a book. So it is a complete goldmine. I don't remember the name of the book now, but but it will be found. It was published in 2019. And there Abraham Maslow talks about power. And he begins one of his lectures by encouraging his students to look at each other as world leaders and uh, challenging them to look within themselves in those places where they would rather be small and meek. You know, don't, don't look at me, don't mind me, I'm small and insignificant, I'm no threat. Because we all have these examples in our psyche and in the old ancient myths of uh, Prometheus, um, we all seen the dict- dict- uh, dictatorships and the horrible examples of the past, which have placed this kind of a blockage, maybe, that we have want to have no part in that. At least I shall not be part of creating uh, destruction or agony to anyone else. But when we do that, we close the door from uh, a major tool that we must understand because if we're not comfortable with our own power and attending to that it is pure, uh, it roots to love, um, the door is open for someone else to use that. They will impose their power on us Um, because it's all about finding a balance with aligning and being soft with each other. But also we need to have strong boundaries in order for our word to be true, you know, and... um, so power is um, just like understanding what love is. It cannot come without the other. And for me, it's been a very difficult journey, uh, which I think it's for most of us. Um, but the key is really to just be uh, open to allowing there to uh, be a dialogue within ourselves and the world around these difficult concepts, because they will not go away. You know, power is not something we can think out from the equation. Would an example of that be how a people pleaser or someone that kind of does not have boundaries, um, they may think they're being altruistic by people pleasing and people will then naturally push their boundaries and, and take advantage of that. And by the people pleaser allowing that to happen, they not only become powerless, but then they become resentful and there becomes this confirmation bias that see people will take advantage of me. Right. Like, I guess what you're saying is that we have to understand that people aren't necessarily evil or bad, but we have to strengthen ourselves. Right. Like we have to, to own our power, our space, because not everyone has the capacity to manage themselves in a way to not violate our boundaries. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, like we're not operating in a world where we're all extremely well balanced and mindful of each other. We're crashing into each other at all times. And therefore the individual in many ways, in my, my opinion, for me to be able to not become embittered in this world, I actually need to embrace my own power to create those boundaries or else I will get it taken advantage of. And not because people are bad, but that's just the way things happen. And I, I, don't, I don't know if, if, if I've kind of articulated 
an example of, I guess, what you're what you're saying. No, I appreciate that. And, you know, it is it's all about in its core about taking responsibility for ourselves, me taking responsibility for myself. And I would say nothing in my life has moved onwards. There has been no growth without this ability in me to look at myself in the mirror and and see where I can't hold myself to uh, honesty. You know, there's that old wisdom and sentence that has been quoted in many places that truth will set you free because it will allow us to see the world as it is and also present ourselves how we actually are instead of building what um, I sometimes make the difference between relating and relationships and entanglements. So when we come from that place of people pleasing, um, you know, the, the nice versus kind, when we're nice with people, we tell them what we think they want to hear. So we don't have to go through that really uncomfortable place where we might be rejected or they don't like us. Uh, but again, we give our power away and we also close the space from a really honest dialogue. And um, it, it has taken me, I'm 42 this year, and I think it's it's only been in the recent few years that I truly found the courage to ask ask the hard questions, have the hard conversations with people, and just take the risk that what if you know some part of me is not accepted and and um, liked? Well, that opens a door for me for growth, for um, looking into those parts that may be in my subconsciousness where I yearn and crave for that validation. But again, going that route of nice, not being kind. So nice roots to fear and kind roots to truth. And, um, and there are very few, I don't think there's any shortcut to that. And it's simply one of the parts of maturation and becoming adult beings. So I think for our uh, listeners, most of us are probably in that kind of age that we are um, getting more focused on understanding what that growth really means and not just the, sh the, the surface. Um, I love what you said in a recent little podcast snippet that you posted for the Alder Habits, where you said that the trouble that people most often have with rooting and establishing habits is because they fail to see the link between habits and character building. So that there's a higher purpose that all of this stuff that we're doing serves, not just becoming faster, not just becoming stronger or achieving the goals, but there's a deeper meaning, which is character building. And in all honesty, like, is there really anything more important than that? Because our character um, lies the foundation for, for everything we do between, you know, with other people, with, with, um, in our own lives, because character involves virtue. So it, it, it entails benevolence, courage, uh, diligence, and um, discipline, um, love, commitment, loyalty, all of those things are there. So for me, um, character uh, is in the root. And um, that's something that caught up my, my eye the other day when I was looking at your LinkedIn. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. That was in a, a conversation with, um, I think with Joe DeSena, at, at Spartan and I, you know, I mean, that, that conversation was, was great. And I suppose what, you know, and it's a conversation I have 
pretty much every day that we need to we need to find meaning in our process. We need to understand why we're doing something, um, particularly to sustain us over the long haul, right? Like for me, that's extremely important. Um, that's a competitive advantage uh, is to really be connected to the process. And, um, and, and, and I would say I'm in a place now where the means actually uh, like the, the process in itself gives me meaning. And um, with respect to power, in your experience, how does how how do males kind of relate to power, say differently to women? I would say there is a difference, you know, because I mean, I can only speak of a, a person who carries the female vessel, you know. So, um, being that it's easier for me um, to um, know my culture, so to speak, you know, uh, uh, the, the softness and the bigger journey for for me has been to have the courage to exert my power in a healthy way. Um, and I've seen a similar, um, phenomena with, with a lot of the men, again, you know, hard to make broad statistical, um, um, kind of statements, but based on the interviews that I've done and the men that have been in my life, um, it is hard because all of the lives men are taught and are raised to live in a world where they have to be tough. So it is not weaved into the culture of manhood uh, to where he hasn't been. And I think luck, luckily the times are changing, but the simple act of showing one's emotions and having that space for the full color palette for both genders uh, to be expressed, both men and women in their, in their tenderness and, and uh, power. And I think one thing is very important to kind of highlight here is the, the flawed perception of seeing gentleness and love as weakness, you know, because we have such a body of knowledge and um, so much research. And even when I just ask people experiences from their own lives, something that has really impacted them. Very often the stories relate to someone uh, with men, you know, who was their the father figure, maybe a friend or a coach or, or some leader who not only told them what to do or gave an inspiring thought, but there was always that underlying um, feeling that there was a connection and understanding, which denotes compassion and that gentleness and softness. Um, there's a quote from Marcus Aurelius that I love quoting, who was a war chief, um, an emperor. And he said that gentleness is invincible. And, and when it is authentic and real, because to be authentic means that we also, um, not only engaging our brain, but we also engage our heart, which we know that we have three brains. We have one in the, in the skull. We have our heart and we also have the gut that relates to Sisu. So it is, um, we are less than what we could be if we are culturally or because of our upbringing uh, only allowed that one uh, lane or scope that's kind of made meant for you. So just as women only being soft, um, 
And if we don't engage the brain and the toughness, we're off balance. So the same for men, you know, if the, the toughness and the, you know, steel meets steel is the only way, well, that doesn't allow us to function in the world because it is, um, it is not just about what we do, but a true wisdom is to know when to use softness and gentleness and presence and warmth, you know, in parenting, uh, even leading massive organizations. We need to have the full color palette and the toolkit in our use. And um, that is pretty much the thing that I preach about is to, to open the spectrum, you know. Um, and I think for men, there seems to be less chance to do so when it comes to this gentleness. Um, but whenever I see a man go there and uh, how, how just stunned they are of the power that is actually released with that. And then the results are different too, you know especially, you know, when we start with our families and same goes for women. There are a lot of women who have a hard time expressing gentleness and tenderness because we've also had to put on the warrior shield and the armor in this world. You know, I love talking gender related, masculine, feminine orientated uh, dialogue with you, because one of the things uh, I've always experienced in my conversations with you is your ability to hold the feminine and embrace your femininity and and at the same time kind of allow that masculine space to be masculine in in and uh and and i've always felt um that there's been no conflict for you in that because you really understand and appreciate the necessity the necessity of both and i i will agree with you on the point that you made in fact I was having a conversation with a friend today about, um, you know, about David Goggins and, you know, for, for me, it wouldn't be difficult if I was an Island to just live in the hard, the cut and thrust, the swinging of the swords like that for me is very natural, but I couldn't be a father. Right. Like I couldn't be a father with that kind of mentality of just go hard, all in kind of this aggressive posture, particularly um, of a daughter. Having a daughter has been very um, eye opening for me. Having um, this kind of physical connection to the feminine, like this, like, you know, like really having this realization that this little girl who's so obsessed with dresses and is so obsessed with everything extremely girly, she's my blood and she's feels like an extension of me and she vibes on me as well. And in many ways, the way I interact with her is how I'm teaching her to interact with men. And I'm very conscious about this. Like I'm very conscious about how I operate with my son as well. But particularly with my daughter. Um, and if I wasn't able to kind of embrace the softer sides and the softer elements, I wouldn't be able to effectively parent or husband um, being a full-time savage. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that just wouldn't work. Mm. So there's a quote that comes to my mind, which is from Brene Brown, which I will try to kind of pull from my 
for my brain. But before that, you know, it really feels to me. And again, I can only speak for, for what I feel is true to me because it's, it, those, these matters are very multifaceted, you know, and, uh, it's sometimes hard to even speak of these because, um, they're very, they're very complex, you know, but I think for the way forward for us, uh, as a humanity, you know, and it's, it really comes down to women having the ability to hold space for men, for the masculine energy and power and, and the men being able to hold space for the feminine, you know, to be as it is, as an, as an energy, as an expression, you know, it's not, not so much even to do with the, the, the man and the woman per se, but we all have the yin and the yang, the hard and the soft, you know, and the key is to find balance in those. And um, so there's a quote from Brené, which goes something along the lines of, show me a woman who's able to stand and, and be present for a man in his vulnerability and his weakness. And I will show you a woman who's done her own work, who's um, strength does not derive from the power of that man. And she's also able to uh, be present for her own um, struggles when it comes to strength uh, and, and power um, and the hardness that we, we might all carry regardless of gender. I mean, I've had to kind of be the warrior and uh, get a lot of shit done. Um, so for a long time, it was hard for me to be truly in my heart comfortable to see a partner, uh, fall apart a little bit because in my psyche, it, it triggered a threat that I am not safe. And then on the other hand, um, there was this subconscious, um, thinking that, well, I haven't had the chance to be vulnerable as a woman in this world. So what right do you have? And I'm speaking now of these things that I was able to, through self-reflection, to really uh, understand and unearth. So for me, this journey is always about, in a, in a union way, to bring that what is subconscious into the surface and into consciousness, you know, because as, as he said, that... Um, as long as, you know, we, we uh, are operating from the subconscious, you know, we call it our faith, fate, and it becomes our life, you know. So the more we start to realize that we may be carrying these kinds of resentments and patterns all the way from our childhood, you know, and how we witnessed power being used and misused, love being withdrawn um, or how it's been used, they influence us in this adulthood through attachment styles. Um, and the Brené Brown quote, of course, it continues that, show me a man who can hold the space for the feminine and for the woman uh, in her weakness without trying to fix it and simply allow it to be um, and, and witness it and hold a space. Because that invites the man to also kind of wander into the biggest fear of the masculine, which is, oh my God, I can't fix this. I can't control this. This thing is falling apart. When, when the core pillar of the masculine energy is to be organized, to solve the problems, uh, sadly, so always be strong, hold your head high, know what to do. And, and the thing is that life has these both sides. You know, we have order, we have chaos, we have reason, we have intuition, uh, we have hardness, we have softness, uh, day and night, you know. So the, the journey is really to 
bring the subconscious into consciousness through reflection and using everything we see, every hardship, every victory, every challenge, every, every mess up, you know, as an opportunity to learn something about ourselves. Like how I used to say that to view life as a dojo, you know, where every uh, hand that is reached out to you when you grab it, there's a chance for you to learn something about how you use your energy. Is it hard, soft, where you stiffen, you know? Um, and then in addition to this, finding consciousness in our actions to find a way to gently integrate these parts in ourselves. And this goes for every man and every woman. And I mean, this is, this works for me. This is my life philosophy. It's brilliant. And, you know, I'll, I'll share like two, two points on that. You know, I was talking to my wife about this and, and recently we, you know, we had an argument and she was crying in the argument and I could sense my level of frustration increasing as she cried. Retrospectively, I'm like, wow, like that's really, you're like super insensitive. And kind of my wife and I, we, she sent me this message about it and kind of being able to hold space for her. And I completely identify with what you're saying. When I look and reflect upon what I was feeling, she cried in that deep sense of frustration. It was confusion and frustration that I couldn't source the problem and that I couldn't understand what needed to be fixed. <clears throat> and, 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 uh, you know, and I, I consider myself to be somebody that has done quite a lot of work, but in the throes of that level of intimacy and complexity with, you know, feelings coming up and things that you don't have a handle on, it's easy to get lost. And, um, I, I quite agree with that. Like in, in that sense, like the ability for me to just have been there and to realize I didn't have to fix anything and to allow her to, to have and be who she needed to be in that moment without me feeling uncomfortable with how her level of vulnerability, partly because I didn't know what the fuck to do. I, I didn't know what to do. And, um, that was, that was frustrating. And the other interesting point I would share too, on that comment that you, uh, what, what you just said was uh, personally for me, if I'm not completely secure in my level of masculinity, I become more aggressive in life, right? Like when I'm really at peace and feeling whole in my masculinity, and a lot of that's contributed to how my relationship's going, my primary relationship with my wife. When I'm feeling really heard and settled and comfortable within my masculinity, it actually enables me to then drop to deeper levels of vulnerability and exhibit more levels of gentleness. And when I'm not comfortable or I feel my masculinity is threatened, I become aggressive generally. And so, you know, I really relate to what you've just said, but, you know, I'm just relating it to, to my experience and whether or not anyone in the, in the audience would, would relate to that. It's hard. It's difficult stuff. It's like you said, you know, it's, it's easy to get lost. I mean, it is, it's so human to get lost. And that's why I encourage myself and uh, 
others too, to really, you know, look for those companions and look at your companion as a companion for this journey, you know, to go together and to understand that we're all winging it. You know, life is an incredibly, I mean, it's a mystery, first of all, you know, and no one has the, the uh, full guidebook, you know. Um, and if we start to kind of seeing that in our partnerships, that what can the other person, you know, teach me and look at them as kind of masters, you know, like, uh, like in Aikido, you would say, um, the first thing you say when you, you train is you ask, uh, basically for permission that would you train with me on Igazimashu, you know? So looking at ourselves, you know, being on this journey together, it makes it less lonely. And then, you know, we get to share the wisdom but i just kind of wanted to say this that i i feel you in that sentiment and it's so hard as a woman you know the same thing like how am i soft but how do i stand up in power in healthy pride you know and then ask the hard questions but not come too hard you know how to be hardy but not hard i mean these are the topics that i have struggled through in all my life and and also you know, when I finally figured out how to be more gentle with other people while still being in truth, you know, and not being nice, but being kind, then it comes to my own personal process, which was the big kind of takeaway from this, from the, the run in New Zealand, where I realized that it is easier, uh, how, how weird it is, but it is easier for me to be hard on myself and tough than to be soft and kind. But but now I understand why it is because we've all been um, kind of reared into uh, seeing and believing that our worth is tied to the achievements that we do, you know, because the, the society needs it. You know, society needs people to get up, get stuff done, be productive, you know. So, I mean, I get it. We need to do that. So, uh, but how do I, in the middle of that, showing up, doing the hard things, not become hard, you know, so that life doesn't kind of uh, penetrate and breathe through me. Hey, folks, a quick break to thank you for joining us on the third year of Ultra Habits. A hell of a ride. Thank you for coming. Now, one of the things about having all these amazing conversations day in, day out, is I feel like I talk a lot, but I'm not always doing as much as I'd like to. I'm just not sharpening my sword the way that I'm used to. So I decided to put myself back under the heat. I will be embarking on a new crucible as I attempt a Guinness Book World Record feat. And more to be revealed on that later. But I want to document the journey, real, raw, uncut, uncurated, with a real, real focus on the habits that I'm going to be implementing on a daily basis to sustain me on this crazy journey. If you haven't already, subscribe to the newsletter. It's all there. It'll be www.ultrahabits.co. That's www.ultrahabits.co. Come along the ride. Let's do this together. That is the way of the strength, right? Like to be able to endure, but endure with kindness, endure with respect, endure with generosity, endure without becoming resentful and bittered without the baggage, that is, you know, that's the way of courage, right? And that's no easy feat. We have to be intentional and make a decision to, to live that way. And that steps into, 
I guess, how I want to take this conversation into the broader world. So we've been talking about us as individuals, but let's talk about gentle power in the context of the world. So Elizabeth, why does the world need this approach now more than ever? So something that came to my mind, which is, um, so what gentle power is, why I use that word. So it derives from this research that I did uh, for the last 10 years on a concept that is from my native culture, Finland, which is called Sisu. And we spoke about that in the, the previous podcast we did uh, a couple of years ago, maybe. Uh, and, and Sisu, it's spelled S-I-S-U, and it denotes this kind of intestinal uh, inner fortitude. So it's not just mental willing or it's not a cognitive resource reserve only, but it more so roots to a kind of um, power circuitry that is more somatic and visceral, actually. And so what I call gentle power is um, Sisu in its higher octave or, or octane version uh, when we use Sisu as a constructive quality. So kind of going back to what you just said there earlier, um, the idea that it is not enough to only, you know, use Sisu at all cost. Kind of when I was in New Zealand, if I was would have pushed, pushed through um, to a point that I uh, accomplished a run uh, across the length of New Zealand at all cost, you know, to the cost to my own growth, maybe physically I damaged myself, that there's some permanent injury. And, and the task that I did was, um, on day 12, after I had been running 12 days consecutively and I was facing major, major uh, hurdles and struggles, I projected myself at day 50 to look back that, can I say that I honored myself and I honored others as I went? What is the story that I really want to get out of this, that I accomplished, that I, said, I, I did what I said I would do, which is very noble. It's Beautiful. You know, we need those stories and we need to be men and women who we, we do what we promise. But here's where that healthy power comes in, uh, because we're not machines and things also change. And sometimes how the journey and the process is done is actually more important than the outcome, even, you know, because um, throughout all those little decisions that we make along the way, again, it comes to character. So if character is important to us, then we also want to align our actions in a way that help us build it and helps us be aligned with it. If character is not important to us, then we can easily just um, ram our way through with giving zero regard to what uh, is the cost to ourselves or the environment. But here's where we come to your question. We are, in my opinion, in my not humble opinion, at a point in human life where it is not enough to have inner power, mental toughness, sisu, um, only that. Um, and where gentle power is nice to have, you know, to have a, a sisu as a constructive quality. We're past that point and we're in a place where I believe that um, the um, focus and intention we put in cultivating our strength capacity in a constructive way um, are future depends on that um, because that will inform the kind of actions we make and the kind of um, bonds we build with other people, whether they're entanglements or they are honest moments of relating 
which is so tough at times when you actually have to tell someone or your partner, what do you really feel? You know, um, I'll give a little example of, I don't know if it's super related or, but I hope, um, I recently watched this movie called East of Eden. It's, it's really, it's an old movie. Uh, it was, it's based on a novel by Ernst Hemingway. And there's this classic situation where there's the good son and the bad son, um, where the good son is kind of fulfilling his role as the good son, but he has a bit of a, a soggy kind of heart and character. And then there's the bad son who's too much of everything and is too honest and straightforward, you know, but, but he's, he's truthful in how he goes. He causes a little bit of racket and, and all that. Um, so there's this dynamic between those two. And then at some point, the bad son causes some trouble to the good son by re- taking him to see their mother, who they all thought was dead. And it was a complete tragedy, you know, because of the dynamics of the play. And then he comes home and the father is all uh, uh, angry. You know, what did you do? The good son is now, you know, getting drunk and about to, you know, harm himself. And the bad son says that, you know, I took him to see our mother because I was jealous. I mean, I looked at that and that was the highlight of the movie for me, because what he did there was he expressed what he was feeling. How often do we not do that, but we go into all kinds of passive-aggressive non-truths, so we don't have to actually reveal what we are feeling. But immediately when we say what we feel, let's say I'm angry because I feel you didn't notice me when I came home, and I would really love you to do that because you're my partner and our, our connection depends on us to kind of work together instead of then being angry at the other person, you know? So um, digressing a little bit, but these are related themes because it's every time when we choose not to go into that hard shell and use the, the hard sisu or the hard expression, but be tough while we keep our heart open. There's, I haven't seen bigger magic on this planet and in my own life than when I've had the courage to be who I am and look at myself in the mirror and, and seriously do the work, you know, improve my character while also uh, being honest to what I see around me and, and um, kind of invoke that from other people too, to the extent that it's my right to do so, you know, because we're all ultimately the experts of our own experience. So got to be uh, thoughtful with that. Particularly in a relationship where we're in with someone or, you know, there's a, supposed to be a domain of trust why do you think people withhold their truth i mean it's it's very uh, very primitive um because even though so a little bit of evolutionary psychology here uh, is a place so even though the human brain has pretty much i don't know tripled in size over the last six seven million years its foundation on how it functions and operates has still remained the same which is number one to you know, have life continue on this planet and then keep us alive. So it has calibrated itself to that. And that same operating system, it dictates our, our, the functioning of our nervous system uh, still to this date. So that's why even, you know, when something with th- thought with reason wouldn't seem like it's a threat um, to our um, nervous system and that lizard brain of ours, uh, it is because our brain is programmed to scan for threats around us um, instead of looking for what's beautiful and what's lovely. So to go into the realm of exposing ourselves and 
saying our truth. Well, I mean, in childhood, for example, where we obtain these patterns, how we how we try to fit in the world and gain love and protection and shelter, maybe sometimes it wasn't healthy to tell the truth, but we had to actually create protection mechanisms for our ego to avoid the worst kind of pain that comes from uh, defying our parents, you know, or not even doing anything. And they might look at us with uh, eyes of uh, disdain, you know. And so the body and the mind is so intelligent that it will find a way to keep itself alive. But then when we come to adulthood, we have these shells that have been built around that soft core. Um, And when we kind of are in the same situation where the the situation uh, requirement is to tell the truth, it uh, triggers that uh, evolutionary old part of our brain, which interprets it as literally almost like, or figuratively, a matter of life and death, even though it isn't. But so for anyone listening, I would so warmly welcome to uh, really educate yourself with understanding how the human nervous system works. It is our basic foundational operating system, you know, the, the, um, the parasympathetic nervous system, which is our rest and digest, the, the, the peace, the calm, uh, openness. And then there's the uh, sympathetic nervous system, which is fight, flight, resist, defend, close, contract. And, and those things aren't under our conscious um, um, operating power. There's always that first um, trigger that happens when we're um, engaging with the external world. And when our somat- uh, uh, sympathetic nervous system is activated, there's literally all the bells and the alarms go off in our, in our minds. And that's, you know, again, the work that we do to understand what are the subconscious triggers that we have that allows us to bring consciousness to those moments. And instead of just kind of reacting, we can act, we can pause just enough to maybe take a deep breath. You know, it's not a joke. Count to 10 when you get angry, because that gives enough time for, um, us to kind of see what is happening and and choose the action. And also when you count to 10, you are engaging with your breath and the breath is connected to the heart, which then, um, gives the message to the, the, the body and to the nervous system, whether we should be afraid or not. You know, when we lower the heart rate, we also activate the parasympathetic nervous system. Um, and, and so it's constantly this dance between this contraction, uh, expansion, um, and becoming aware of why we do the things that we do. No, that's brilliant. Actually, um, some, some several months ago, but more recently, I, I got into, um, uh, you know, understanding more about things like polyvagal theory and uh, Stephen Porges, Deb Dana, and a friend of mine who uh, I had on the podcast, the Accenture uh, executive at Accenture. He he got me into that work, and uh, more recently, I, uh, with compounded stress, a lot of change um, in the family dynamic with us moving and just um, lots going on. What appeared to be kind of me reverting back to some mental health uh, challenges that I had early sobriety and before getting sober. This is 15, 16 years ago. When I really unpacked it, it was my nervous system, my body holding and bringing back certain ways of operating. I think a lot of the times uh, we think 
that the thoughts are driving the the body. Uh, but for me, I think what happened was I moved back into a state of fight and flight. And then the narratives were being created as a result of what my body was feeling. Does that make sense? And and that then appeared to be kind of psychological um, issues. But, you know, and, and it's good uh, to get a hold on it and, and to get a real good grasp and to realize that, you know, for so many years I hadn't been breathing correctly. And for so many years I had been in one massive panic attack. People are like, God, you get so much done during the day. No, I'm just flying through the day on one massive panic attack. You know what I mean? Like, like all, all, all that, all that, all that work had to be done. Um, and, and I resonate and I do agree. I think getting into that work is kind of that next level to really understand what the body is holding, what memories the body is holding. Um, I, I will, I, I will ask you, you know, in terms of gentle power in this way of, 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 of kind of evolving Sisu from you know, the way we spoke before to kind of what seems to be the next iteration, how would that look for organizations? Like, what would that look like within an organization? How would that look if an, oper- you know, if an or- organization was kind of operating with this ethos of gentle power, not only an organization, but uh, a political, uh, you know, the political sectors, like what would that look like? Well, I mean, you're asking a question now that's kind of um, being a stumbling block for us as a humanity for forever. You know, we we often have these beautiful ideas how to create uh, societies or groups you know, and we come with a lot of like idealistic uh, wishes and hopes. So I really commend commend us as humans. You know that we we keep believing we can fix it, but if if the parties who are operating within that system, um, if they kind of projected outside that, hey, here's a um, a practice or a paradigm that we will hold to high regard. You know, as in like on paper. So we project it somewhere out there. We don't really do the hard labor and effort of practicing that in our own daily lives, day in, day out. I mean, the thing with Sisu and gentle power is that there is no um, shortcut. That's the thing. I mean, at some point I went through a process myself where uh, I went too much in the softness, you know, and just kind of hoping a little bit that things would just kind of happen you know, it would just manifest itself, you know, and all that. But coming back to this beautiful uh, kind of reality um, is that it all requires our active effort and taking the action day in, uh, day out. And I often use this word from from boxing because I have um, close people in my life who, who do that very passionately. And it's just like no one goes into the ring without having practiced those moves like thousands of or tens of thousands of times, simulating every single um, uh, corner and angle and thing that can happen. So um, to build those dynamics and those or those political systems, even um, organizational cultures, it first and foremost takes the commitment from the people uh, who are on top who need to lead by example. And the beauty is that 
people, we as humans, we're hardwired so that we do learn fastest through um, what, witnessing other people's behavior. I mean, that's what we do as children. You know, we're constantly adjusting and, and trying to kind of find the, the best way to be. And um, I'm blanking out now the name of the uh, researcher at Stanford in the 60s, who is the um, founder of the, the uh, social learning theory. Uh, but he was an emeritus professor at Stanford. And he was the one who, who was learning this um, and did the work around understanding how humans learn. And it is through in this interaction. Uh, with each other. So there's no way out from that. So we can't kind of skip it. And, and that's why, you know, um, I remember when I was at the University of Pennsylvania doing this uh, applied positive psychology master's under Martin Seligman. And it was in this time of major transition in my own life, you know, where all this work on Sisu and gentle power came from, from a personal tragedy that I had to navigate. And the question for me was, how do humans overcome extreme adversity? You know, how did I overcome and how am I surviving? And one of the assignments there in one of the courses was to create our own mission statement. You know, to simplify, condense, maximum of 10 words. And it has to entail the most core of what you are here to do and how to operate. And I remember um, that for me, because I just happened to see it recently, it was... Uh, to lead by example and add value to the world. And I think that's, yeah, nine or 10 words. And it kind of, I saw it the other day or a while ago, and I was thinking that maybe should I upgrade that somehow? But it still holds true, you know, because there's that I need to take responsibility for myself and bring that then, share it. You know, like my dad says beautifully that if you are the smartest person in the room, share it. <laughs> instead of like you're in the wrong room you know so ah, i like that it's just some different little spin. diamonds yeah. from the, along yeah the it's more about giving than taking right yeah that's right the other perspective is you're the smartest in the room you're in the wrong room right because you should be consuming whereas his, your dad's perspective is well maybe you shouldn't leave the room maybe you should share <laughs> yeah and you know to that breath i do want to say that to do the um, very vulnerable and, and tender act of surrendering to the act of service and giving. You know, it is a vulnerable place to be. And that's why we also need to, or I have needed to go through the journey of founding my, finding my own power and my self-worth, self-respect, um, knowing to say no, you know, and there doesn't need to be a huge fuss about it, you know, not going emotional, but to simply, um, expressing you know that uh you know this is a no or not yet and i used to have so much guilt over uh things like that but it, it is not fair for myself and it's not fair for the other person um i what i've noticed in relationships or friendships you know when i know that i can trust the other person to say no it makes me feel more safe with them you know if i ask for a favor or can we meet for a coffee and if I've seen the person say no to me in the past or even cancel because they really had to, I know that, you know, the first and foremost, it is important for this person to be honest instead of doing that thing that you were talking about where we, you know, we police people um, in order to get that, keep that entanglement going. And then we start formulating that resentment, 
and it's just it's a it's a horrible place to be because I really um I think there are a lot of relationships like that out there and I've had them in my life and and nothing good comes out of that but any moment is a chance to um kind of look at those and ask like how can I bring more truth and then truth because it can be a hard-edged sword sometimes how do I deliver that with my heart open and that is gentle power you know yeah, that's brilliant. So, Elizabeth, we're going to start to land the plane here. Uh, there's a couple, couple things we we I know it uh, could talk for hours and hours and hours. Um, there's a there's always a, a couple little things we do prior to to ending the show, and I think you know not everyone has watched the previous or listened to the previous interview uh, focusing on Sisu. Uh, but I, I would like to touch on that for a second. If someone wanted to develop uh, their sisu or develop habits that would lead to strengthening their sisu, is there anything they can do? Is, is sisu something that can be uncovered or developed or found? Mm. Yes, I'm glad you uh, navigated. Uh us here to this part of the forest um yes there is there is everything one can do actually that's the good part you know so the first step is to acknowledge and recognize that um i want to develop more toughness or in some people's case in gentle power maybe someone needs to develop more gentleness so it is a continuum and the journey is a little bit different for all of us in different parts of our lives um, but for Sisu specifically, it is about um, choosing an area in your life. I mean, this is very simple. But the problem is that we just don't do these things because we get so caught up with life. And I know. And um, but to choose an area, whether it's a physical one, it can also be in the real realm of relationships. You know, Sisu is not just for physical feats; it's for every single act, almost when we have to really push into that hard terrain where. Uh, what Stephen Pressfield calls resistance, you know. So there's, we push through that threshold where we really don't want to do something. And the beauty of it is, even though these things necessarily don't directly take you to the place of Sisu, because Sisu means the will to not give up, to not die, to be undestructible, you know. So it's not directly about that. But every time when we teach our body to go toward the storm, in a healthy way. It's like what Roddy Ferguson, who's an Olympic judo, uh, um, judo practitioner says that get constructively uncomfortable. So the requirement to develop that kind of spear of life force, as I call it, is to get constructively uncomfortable, choose an action that's not dangerous, but is challenging. You know, so the, the, the action is in our end. We get to do this, you know, we get to choose how we do it. And when we do it, the point is to, you know, do it and choose. So there is a phenomenon called transference. So I'll give an example. When I was training for New Zealand for the run, and I was in Finland at some point, and uh, had to go for a morning run, and it was gloomy, and it was rainy, and it was 5 a.m., and it was dark, and there was slush everywhere, and it was really not a place to be. My bed was the place to be. But the fact that I opened that door and not that I was like 
struggling for my life and using Sisu, you know, necessarily to do that. But it teaches my body to be okay with the uncomfortable situations that there's no need to get alarmed. Uh, it is really not that bad. And there's so much more strength to me than I keep remembering. So it's a way to kind of, through micro movements, um, program uh, our brain, our brain is, brain is plastic, neuroplasticity, to program those habits and those behavioral models so that when a really challenging situation comes our way, it doesn't meet us unprepared. But it's kind of that boxer going into the ring who has practiced. So you have this toolkit where you can take from. And even to this date, New Zealand happened in 2018. After that, I went to China to learn some martial arts, which is also part of the PhD on Sisu. I still draw strength from those experiences because I saw how I sometimes fell apart and was a little baby. But there were times when I stood up and I was able to dig into that warrior and into that Sisu in me. So those experiences can empower us from years later. So it, it does matter what we do in this moment. You know, it doesn't pass by, it's not fleeting, but they become the building blocks upon which we build ourselves and then meet the future, whether it's easy or whether it's at times tough. Excellent. Well said. And so, Elizabeth, if people want to learn more about Sisu or particularly your new book, where can they go to get more information? Mm, so my website, Sisu Lab, so S-I-S-U, sisulab.com. It has all the possible trinkets and links. And uh, for the book in Australia, um, my wish is that it would get so much good publicity there that it would get in the bookstores in Australia, hopefully soon. Uh, so I don't know how to get the physical book there right now. Maybe it's uh, there's some way, but it's also available as an audio book that I read myself. And, and there's also the, um, the, the ebook as well available. So excellent. Gentle power. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on the show. Thank you so much for your time. I always love talking to you. Thank you so much, RJ. A lot of respect for you. And I'm so glad I got to be a guest for the second time. Thank you.